everybody, Chris here. Today's episode is our very first episode recorded live in front of an audience, and it was also streamed live on Facebook. And uh, I've done no editing at all other than adjusting sound levels. And because we were in a, a big warehouse type event space, uh, it's not the usual sound quality that I've come to expect, but it's honestly, it's pretty damn good for a, for a live recording. So um, huge thanks to all the people over at So Ill and at Climb So Ill for making our visit um, absolutely amazing. Nate and I were there for a week. Um, I emceed the So Ill Showdown, and then Nate and I ran several workshops, and then we recorded this live podcast at the gym. Um, so big, big thanks to those guys. I really appreciate them um, giving it a chance and letting us do our first one there. And of course, I want to say a, a huge thanks to everybody who came out and supported and bought t-shirts and did a workshop and came for the podcast and just everybody who expressed to us you know their appreciation of what we do we have nothing but appreciation and love for you guys so thanks and we will be back to st louis before long and hopefully we'll be bringing one to all of all of everyone else's town out there see you guys soon it's it's live Dave saw it on the Facebooks. So if you guys are on the Facebooks watching and for some reason this feed cuts out, it's because we're all technically deficient. And in, in our version of live, that meant we're doing it in front of live humans. And then I got all sorts of messages saying, uh, where can we stream it live? And I said, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. So we're figuring it out for you. So hopefully this stays running. If it doesn't, Sorry, you'll hear the audio tomorrow. And we're going to be getting started in just a minute. You guys good to go? Okay. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. We're here at Climb So Ill with a couple of the owners, and these guys have a whole bunch of titles between them, and I could run through them, but I think we'll get to that uh, tonight in the podcast. Um, we're joined by, of course, Nate, who you guys all know, and also Yusuf Danishar and Dave Chancellor. And um, we're going to talk tonight about, about uh, success and how we define it in the climbing world and, and in the industry and just in our own climbing in general and the path that we took to get there. You know, and I think we all took pretty different paths so I think it's interesting to, to see that there's so many ways to make a living in the climbing industry because that's what we're all doing at this point. You know, we're, we were all climbers first and climbers at heart, uh, but we've all found a way to pursue our passions and, and make a living off of it. So uh, why don't we start by, Nate, how long have you been climbing? Uh, I've been climbing about 13 years. 
13 years. Um, so he's a little longer than you, Yusuf, right? You're yeah, right around 10. Okay. Yeah. Yusuf's at 10, and you've been climbing I'm how long? I'm around maybe 20 years, but I'm well beyond my prime. You said 15 years like five minutes ago. You're getting, I think I'm up to 25 years. <laughs> I, I have trouble with math, Chris. I don't doubt that for a second, actually. <laughs> I just found out that my iPhone has a calculator on it. Does it really? Yeah. Do you know how to access it? It's a big deal. Because I have no idea how to access my calculator. <laughs> and, um, and how long have you been climbing, young man? I've been climbing 22 years, I think. Okay. I think. It's, it's a little foggy at this point, but I think 22 years. Um, are you both from Southern Illinois or St. Louis area? Yeah, originally St. Louis. Um, spent a lot of time on the road traveling, climbing. Moved down to Illinois for, gosh, almost 10 years. And uh, back here, family, friends, work, every, everything kind of pulled me back to this direction. So yeah. I, I like the city. I like the heartbeat. I just love it here. Cool. You fit in here for sure. <laughs> the city seems to love you too. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> Yusuf, uh, where did you grow up? Yeah, so when my parents moved to America, of all places, they decided to move to Carbondale, Illinois. Really? So of any, like of every other place they could have gone, they settled in Carbondale. So we lived in Carbondale for a few years and then moved to uh, Glen Carbon, Illinois. So born and raised in Illinois and then uh, moved to St. Louis for school. Uh, okay. That's kind of what brought me here. Yusuf, you're telling me they could have moved to California, Colorado. They've been in California. And they ended up in Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois is beautiful. Yeah. Best kept secret. Yeah. I think you wrote a guidebook around that topic, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so did you start climbing at Jackson Falls or one of the areas right around Carbondale? No, you know, I kind of wandered into a climbing gym. I had uh, just gotten let go from an internship at a radio station here in St. Louis. Uh, they didn't think I was a team player, so they, uh, they cut me from the team. So... <laughs> I had nothing else to do, and I was just uh, walking around and kind of wandered into this climbing gym, and you know, from then on, I just fell in love with it and uh, didn't realize it, but I ended up dedicating my life to it. Um, okay. And shortly after that, uh, you know, after I realized that there was climbing in Southern Illinois, I was there, you know, every opportunity. So every you were weekend. closer to climbing before you found it. Yeah. You, know, you exactly. moved further away and found it afterward. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of <laughs> cool. When did you discover it, Dave? Uh, let's see. My uncle took me out for a top rope session when I was 15 and just fell in love with it. I knew instantly that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, I've shared the story many times, but after that, we came, uh, after that trip, we built a small climbing wall in my parents' basement. And we started charging the neighborhood kids to come over and use the climbing wall. <laughs> it's the beginning of Climb So Ill happened in your parents' <laughs> in my basement. Parents basement. Yeah. And it was a, at, one, at one point it was really successful because we're like, wow, you know, I'm 15 years old and we're making $100 a month. And I thought I will never leave my parents' house. This is incredible. <laughs> um, and it came with a lot of stumbling blocks. I, we started making our own holds out of sand. I remember at one point my brother decided to wash these holds in the dishwasher and just wrecked my parents' <laughs> brand job. new dishwasher. Good job, Dan. Chalk dust through the entire house and the HVA system. But all that aside, uh, climbing grabbed me. It helped me you know, connect with trips, traveling, people, and uh, just inspired me you know, down this road. So. Yeah, and Nate, you grew up in Houston. Yes. How on earth do you find climbing in Houston? Uh, climbing gym. 
Climbing gym. What, yeah. what was what climbing gyms were going on at the time? Uh, at the time, it was Stone Moves and Texas Rock Gym. But I was climbing over at Stone Moves. Buddy of mine, John Muse, had just bought it, and uh, yeah, had a couple friends who were going, and it seemed awesome. And then started going, and man, I couldn't stop. Did John introduce you to it? Yeah, okay. he actually took me out for a couple of my first climbing trips too. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I got started too. A friend introduced me to the gym, and then. Um, I didn't go back for a while. I was a gymnast beforehand, so I kind of took to it immediately, and I went a couple of times, and then got into a bunch of trouble, and while I was locked up from the trouble, I decided I need a better hobby, and rock climbing was that hobby, you know? So the, the day I got out of lockup, I went straight to the climbing gym and bought a membership, um, believing that the climbing and the climbing community was going to be the thing that saved me and ultimately it was so so i think it was a good choice one of the few i've made but it's it's crazy how it just grabs you like i i'm trying to think of anything else that i've run into that grabs you like that and has the ability to like flip your life upside down yeah i don't know yeah, immediately it can all just take over for sure so when did the whole company start for you uh like our official launch i think was 2002 at the phoenix bouldering contest but you were making holds way before that we started before that um it was a lot of trial and error trying to figure out formulas and uh processes for you know manufacturing and stuff and you we, say figure out formulas like you were little scientist kids in there were you just winging it or were you actually figuring totally out formulas? Winging it. we knew absolutely <laughs> nothing i remember the first uh you know, our first visit with a urethane manufacturer and we showed up in flip-flops and shorts and long hair, just rolled out of bed and walked into a boardroom hoping to gain some sort of respect out of these guys and communicate our message of what we're trying to do. Yep. Pretty much they laughed us out of the room, except for one guy. I don't know if he had kids or just felt compassionate, but he probably just felt sorry for us. Um, but he really took us under his wing and helped kind of us work through the process and work through um, you know, mold creation and trying to figure out how to, how to take a concept to, to market uh, or to, to a product that you know, eventually we can deliver to a customer. And how old were you then? Gosh, let's see. So I think I was hovering around maybe 18, 19, somewhere yeah. in there. That's a cool schooling to get at that age. Yeah, you know? and it, you know, I, I just clowned around a lot. Uh, my brother was- You a, still clown around a lot. <laughs> this guy? <laughs> <laughs> my brother was a great driving force through all of this. Um, I felt like we, we had the perfect partnership. He did all the work and I just kind of hung out. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we have Dan up on the board then? What's, what's going on here? We got the wrong brother. Oh, man. So, Yusuf, I know you kind of lived the, the dirtbag life for a while, you know? You, you were full-time climber guy in the red for a while, right? Yeah. How, when did that come about? You know, it, a lot of people thought it was a, a bold move, and I have to, like, com absolutely <laughs> deny that claim. Like, I had nothing else to do out of college, you know? <laughs> I graduated with a degree in English literature, which didn't exactly open a lot of doors for me. Yeah, so, yeah. Not a lot know, of I jobs figured, there. Uh, Nate and I were talking about this the other day. Like, mm -hmm. I just had this moment where I realized if I'm getting turned down at every job and every job interview is stopping right after that interview, I can get turned down from jobs anywhere in the country. I didn't need yeah, to be yeah, in for sure. Southern Illinois. Yeah, totally. 
to get shut down. So then so I. So you went to Slade, Kentucky. So I went to Slade. Yeah, I, that was <laughs> that was the first stop. I stayed in stayed in Slade. Linda was uh, uh, was great. Let me stay at her place. And uh, um, maybe about six months into that, I realized like, you know, I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life, but I really enjoy this. Um, and so then I just uh, it was less of a decision and just more of. Um, like Dave said, you just connect with the right people and you Did know. you stay there through the summers and no, I got out okay. during the summers. I spent one summer there and it was a mistake and you know, I yeah. started to learn that, you know, you can travel seasonally, you know, you yep. can beat the heat, you can get out. Um, where were you going? Uh, so most summers were in lion's head. Um, oh, cool. uh, yeah, stayed up there with, uh, a few of my friends there, uh, or we'd make it out to rifle or maple. You know, just anywhere where it wasn't humid. So, and how are you funding these travels at that point? Since your English lit degree wasn't paying yeah. for it. So the first year, I actually had saved quite a bit of money. Um, you know, I was pretty conservative. Um, it was like college jobs you saved. Yeah, money exactly. From. Just like, uh, and so that allowed me to make it through the first year, and then um, once that started to run low, uh, I realized anyone can get a credit card <laughs> and they're just giving them they away. just give them away you know so I think I got like my first discover card and I didn't have a permanent address so I was never getting the bill oh yeah I, re I remember the discover card yeah so I just mm -hmm. you know I funded that next year and a half all on discover did your parents eventually call you and say um, their bill collectors knocking down the door no, you know, I, I got, I was really fortunate. My parents were really supportive. They and did they not. they just paid your bill? No, no, no. They absolutely <laughs> did not pay my bill. No, because I, I came back to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was my responsibility. Good job, parents. You know, yeah, they did a great job. So, no, they were really supportive. They knew that I, you know, uh, that I really wasn't sure what direction I wanted my life to go in, but um, climbing had been this really positive thing for me. And even though they didn't understand it, they liked the effect it was having on me, you know. And we were talking about this the other day, like it, it really teaches you how to be, um, how to set a schedule, um, how to set goals, how to achieve those goals. It really teaches you how to live um, simply, which is you one of the You learn how to be really lessons. frugal. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so I think they, they saw that I was getting an education on the road, even though I wasn't jumping right back into grad school. Yeah, and you know, that's, you know, what you were saying about climbing kind of taking over, Dave, I think that's, that's kind of a, a point we all come to, whether we're dirtbagging or um, still working a nine-to-five job or in college still or whatever, at some point all of our brains are going, how can we just climb all the time, you know, how can we figure out how to make this work? And, you know, it isn't necessarily for everyone. Um, why did you three guys decide that that's the direction you were going? Like, was it, was it just totally an addiction? Is that, is that what happened, do you think? In terms of climbing, taking over our life? Yeah, like that... why, why forego everything else that society has told you this is how you're supposed to live your life and go, never mind, I'm going to go rock climbing. Sure. I, th I mean, I think my story's much like Yusuf and probably a bunch of us is... Uh, you know, heading down the, the, the trajectory of getting a degree and starting to, you know, plug yourself into the, the work machine. 
And <clears throat> at that point, I, climbing had grabbed me and it was time to check out. Um, but I mean, it comes with challenges. It's living on the road, it's, it's broke, it's suffering for it. You're constantly struggling between, um, I think it's fighting that, coming you know, back, back to reality, back to nine to five and trying to push forward and stay on the road. I don't know, I, I think for me, it was, it felt like the people I met on the road, the people, I mean, to this day, I can still see those people that impacted me as I was on the road. And they were so welcoming, invited us into our homes, they climbed with us, they, I don't know, just like the, the fabric of the, the community is what just grabbed me. So it was like, it was like the climbing and the community is what attracted me to, to, to this sport. Yeah, that, that's cool to hear because I, I think that's what I see you doing in this gym anyway. You know, when I, when I come to this gym, I'm like, and I've said this to everyone I've talked to about Climb So Ill, that, you know, every two out of three people have on a Climb So Ill shirt or a So Ill bag or So Ill shoes or something. You know, they're all so proud to rep this brand that you guys have built. Um, and that's why we love coming here because we're all about trying to build the community around you know this thing that we're doing and we see how well you guys have done it so it's not surprising to me at all that that you keep saying you know the community drew you in because i, I think that's i think that's your strength for sure is building this community i think it boils down to just a genuine love for people and like giving them respect yeah. and the time that they deserve and it's the same thing we want Technology pulls us, you know, work pulls us, family pulls us, but it's, it's just like, it's the people that I gravitate to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the, and the lifestyle on the road is really simple. Um, you don't have, there's not a lot of things that you have to do. You don't have to be somewhere by a certain time. So life just moves a little slower. And I think I was really, I, that was really attractive that I didn't have, um, I didn't really have to be anywhere on time. Did you I have just, constant struggles? Like, why am I not using my degree? Or why did I spend all that money? Or did you just go full tilt into, I'm just going to live this dirtbag life? Yeah, th like for two and a half years, it was definitely full tilt. Like, I, I, it didn't even occur to me that I should be doing something else. Um, and like Dave said, it was the, the, the people really helped encourage you to keep doing it because it's such a difficult thing to do. Um, you know, the sport is difficult, the lifestyle is hard, figuring out a way to make it last um, can be challenging, but there, you yeah. surround yourself with such good people, they just help you, uh, they, they just keep you going, which is great. Um, I think the other reason I stayed in it as long as I did was, um, it was the one thing I did that gave me confidence, you know? Um, it. And I tell this to kids on our climbing team all the time, you know, if you can rock climb, you can do anything, right? This, this is something that, is, that seems so difficult and unapproachable, but if you just put a little bit of time into it, you figure it out and you can make impossible things look effortless, right? Yeah. And so to me, once I realized like I can, if I can live on the road and climb anywhere in the US and network with people all over the world, like I can, I can do anything. So it, that was really attractive about climbing for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's huge. Climbing teaches us so much about life in general, you know, and so many things that we can 
take into the rest of our life and our business and our work and our family or whatever. Um, Nate, your dad told me something really funny that I, I kind of want to bring up. You probably shouldn't. <laughs> and, and I think this really illustrates this whole like climbing grabs you thing, you know? Um, when Nate was, you might have been already gone away to school or something and your dad was like, well, let's, let's get you a new car, you know, you, you know your oh, car's I, falling apart. No, it had fallen apart. I rolled it. Okay. I had a forerunner and I hydroplaned it into a ditch and I rolled it. Yep. Yeah. And your dad's like, you? oh, I was like 18, I think. Woo! Yeah. Cooking with gas. That's a rough time. I still miss that forerunner. <laughs> <laughs> and dad was like, well, let's get you a new car. And Nate's like, well, can I just have the van in the driveway? You know, and he, Nate wanted the van, you know, what, what college kid wants the van in the driveway? You know, I think that's, that's such a climber thing to do. So, you know, why, why choose that over the, the college life, the cool kid life? I don't know. It just kind of, I feel like this is how a lot of things have happened. It's just, it sort of naturally happened. Like, so I rolled my forerunner and this was over Thanksgiving break. Um, I was driving up to the red. I had just gotten better from having broken a collarbone and doing sure, what? Um, riding a bicycle. <laughs> yeah. I, I broke my femur the same way. Stay away from bikes, kids. <laughs> and unicycles. <laughs> and unicycles, yes. Carry on, Nate. <laughs> Any pedaled wheeled vehicle. Um, so I had just gotten better from breaking my collarbone. I was like, oh, I'll go up for Thanksgiving. Texas was way too far to drive. I was in Chattanooga at the time. So it was really far to drive back to Texas to go see my family for Thanksgiving. So I'd always go to Miguel's for Thanksgiving. Um, so I was driving up. Collarbone was finally good. I was like cleared to climb. I was like, okay, this is going to be awesome. And uh, rolled my forerunner and actually ended up messing my collarbone back up from where the uh, seatbelt lays right over it. Jeez. But uh, my dad was awesome. He just, he was like, hey, like you need a vehicle so that you can get back to college because you're now in BFE, Kentucky. Um, so he drove the van all the way up to Kentucky. And then he Your was dad's just like, the cool. sweetest man ever. He is. You know that, right? Yeah, I, <laughs> I acquired none of that. Um, but yeah, so he drove it up and hung out with me at the Red for a little while. And so I was driving around until he was like, okay, you'll drive that till Christmas break. Um, thankfully my forerunner, I had full insurance on it at the time cause I was still making payments on it. And he was just like, you know, we'll figure something out. Like, you know, like, what do you have in mind? I was like, I don't know, but man, as I'd be driving that van, everyone would be like, dude, you should like pull the seats out and build a bed in that thing. And I was like, ah, oh, it's not my van. It's just my dad. All the chicks are flocking to Nate for his van. Bitches flock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, for the Chrysler town and country. And I still remember the conversation too. Like I was about just about to drive home. I may have been on my way home and I was talking with my dad and I was just like, what would, what would you think about me uh, buying the van off you? And there was a full like 10 second pause. And he's like, Nate, I almost dropped the phone. What did you just say again? <laughs> I was like, I, I want to buy the van. He's like, and so we talked about it for like, yeah, I was driving home for Christmas. So we talked for like the next hour about exactly what I wanted to build. I think I got home at like two in the morning. And he's ready to build. No shit. Yeah. He's <laughs> wow. just like, he's sitting there with like a yellow sketch pad. He's like, okay, so what do you have in mind? And so I like described everything. I don't think I woke up till like 
1 p.m. the next day. And like, I come out to the garage and he's like almost completely done building it. And he wow. was all psyched. Yeah. Jeez, you bought it for your $8? Yeah, exactly. Ready to roll? <laughs> That's incredible. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, he was super supportive. So it's interesting. Like, we are so blessed. And I think about this often. Like, we stand on the generations before us. I, I had this moment when I was, uh, my son Milo, he's almost two. I'm jogging down the street in a $500 stroller that my parents bought for us. Like in <laughs> incredible. I had this moment and the week before my dad toured me around Sedalia, Missouri, it's a real small town. And he showed, you know, I went by grandpa's house. I went by great grandpa's house and he showed me great grandpa's house. I mean, it was tiny. I mean, 600, 700 square feet. The bathroom was an outhouse in the backyard and he worked, you know, his, his knuckles to the bone. And then my grandpa worked incredibly hard. My dad got an education degree, you know, went down that course and worked. I mean, he's still working. And like every generation has provided more and more and more. And now with a son myself, I feel like my whole mentality has changed. Now my job is to provide for that little terrorist so he can provide <laughs> for the next little terrorist. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think that's one thing that we all shared in common here is like there's no secret to success but a big part of it is surrounding yourself with the right people and it, the three of us are really fortunate just to have amazing parents who you know didn't quite understand why we wanted to do this but could see that we were passionate about it we were serious about it um and you know they were incredibly supportive yeah, and I don't think it, you know, I don't think it has to be your parents or family or, you know, any kind of relation because, you know, I, I feel the same way. Like, I was fortunate to have these mentors who were amazing. My parents were horrible people, so they're totally out of the picture by the time I find climbing. Um, but, but the people who took me in, um, you know, a guy named Chris Eklund who was a manager at the climbing gym and Josh Dees, who was uh, also another manager at the climbing gym and who's now actually a patron of the podcast. So, um, you know, these guys have stayed with me throughout my entire climbing career. And, and that's huge for me. You know, I was just a punk kid coming out of, you know, being in trouble and potentially going away for a long time. And these guys kind of held me to a higher standard you know, and they, they treated me as if I was an equal. And I hadn't really experienced that before. So it doesn't have to be parental, you know, it doesn't have to be family. It can be just the climbing community. I think it saved a lot of souls. You right. Know? I, that's a good point. It's, it's a dysfunctional family that seems to operate at a high level. <laughs> yeah, true. It really, really is. Maybe that's why I felt at home there. It's so dysfunctional already. But so speaking of dysfunctional, uh, I was talking to a, a mutual friend of ours, Chris DeSicchio. Um, and I remember Chris from when he was a 14-year-old starting climbing in Cincinnati. And he told me these stories about your... Uh, your shop across the street from a strip club 
up it was it in carbondale is that yep, right yep southern illinois yeah talk to me about that a little bit it was the best and worst idea ever <laughs> so tell me the best first <laughs> so we we were in desperate need of a shop we were pouring holes in my parents basement we had a small rental house in carbondale and we were in desperate need of some square footage so we could you know spread our wings if you will um so the challenge was in southern illinois where do you find something that's uh that that works for us uh, so we, we found the perfect place. It was you know three-bedroom house. It was out in the country. It had, uh, it had uh, a big pole barn that was perfect for us. It had a secondary garage that we built a climbing wall in. We opened up to the community to come out. And on paper, it was next door to a strip club. So as a young male, it was this, <laughs> we're out in the country. It's, this is the most incredible opportunity for any young man. This is, this is pure gold. <laughs> After the first day of moving Are you going to suggest to Milo that he moves across never, the street from a strip club? He'll never see this. Okay. <laughs> After moving in, and of course our first night, we're excited. Let's go over. We got to see it out. We're in Southern Illinois in the country. I mean, that's literally all I need to say. Yeah. yeah it was a sure. train wreck. <laughs> it was literally one and done. But the traveling climbers that came through our place, we opened up our, our doors to them. They... They were able to, you know, to climb on the climbing wall. They were able to see kind of the process. We were able to, you know, venture out and develop new areas and establish, you know, new climbs and such. Those are memories I will never forget. I, I remember one time there were so many visitors there that I would just literally lose track. Like we would wake up in the morning and there would just be a van parked in our driveway. That was Nate. <laughs> We'd venture out yes. and be like, hey, who, who are you? Oh, we heard this was a climber friendly place. And one day it hit me in Arkansas several years later, and a gentleman came up and said, Dave, I haven't seen you in a long time. And I, he said, I hate this line. You don't remember me, do you? It's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> How do you answer that? Uh, I said, I'm sorry, I don't. He said, oh, well, I stayed on your couch for two weeks. <laughs> and I completely forgot who this guy was, and I felt so bad, but it is what it is. There were hundreds of visitors that came through over several years. But it was a good time, and yeah, those sort of experiences like just added more fuel to the fire. Yeah, totally. And so now that we're on bad experiences or maybe bad decisions, um, Yusuf, I know that you had you had a little blow up with the the campground you were living in in the red, right? And you ended up having to kind of vacate the premises. Yeah. So I was staying with Linda for for quite a while and I was uh, honest with her right off the bat, you know, I'm, I'm here for an extended period of time, you know, I, I, I don't have, uh, you know, I'm not working, I don't really have the ability to pay, but I'd like to stay here, it's a nice place. Um, so we had worked out an arrangement where I would uh, work for her in exchange for, um, you know, kind of for room and board. Yep, totally. And, I mean, that went on for four months, and then, as far as I was concerned, I had worked, you know, every day that, that she asked me to. Um, and I had to, you know, there was, uh, towards the end of the season, something came up. Um, you know, my mom was sick, and uh, I left, you know, pretty, pretty quickly, pretty abruptly. But yep. um, I let everybody know, uh, just to, to tell Linda that, you know, you know my mom's sick, I got to go back home. Yeah, sure. Um, 
and I thought things were fine. Um, and then I came back, you know, fortunately, like, uh, everything turned out okay with mom. And um, that following season, I came back. And when I got back to Linda's, everyone was like, Linda's been looking for you. She's been searching she's been, on her golf cart yeah, for she's you been all around looking the for you for the last like six months. <laughs> she's losing it. And I had no idea what was wrong. I just thought, you know, um, you know, Linda's touchy. So I just thought, you know, I'll go, I'll go talk to her. Um, so I went up to the house and, and she was like, I can't, you know, she, she essentially thought that I had stiffed her on, right, you know, right. four months of, yep. of rent. And I couldn't explain to her enough times, like, no, like we worked it out. Like, that's exactly why, like, yep. you know, that's why I did all the laundry, cleaned all the cabins, took out the trash, replaced all the light bulbs, cleaned yep. the bathroom. Like, I had no pride. I would do any job. You know, anything she wanted me to do, I'd, I'd do it. Um, and I think what happened is Linda got used to rock climbers who yeah. have no other responsibilities in their life. You know, so she's like, where the hell is Yusuf? You yeah. know, he doesn't have any responsibilities other than changing yeah. my light bulbs. And I, uh, and I, you know, after having it out with her, I just told her, I'd love to pay you back, but I, I just cannot, you know, like, I don't know what you want to work out. And she was just like livid. Didn't yeah. want anything to do with me after that. Yeah. Things calmed down after a while though. Like she, yeah. she still asks about like my mom. She like checks in and sees how she's doing. So Good, good. Yeah. And we hope, and we hope Linda's smooth. doing well out there as well. Yep. You know, I know Linda's yeah. had some rough times lately, so hopefully she's doing well. Um, but did that, you know, did that force you into thinking about what am I going to do with the rest of my life? When did that come about? When did it come about that you rejoined the normal society, so to speak? I remember it was like right around that time. So at that, so the first year on the road, I lived um, exclusively out of a tent. But then after that thing had been set up for the better part of a year, it was so, you know, it had just been so weathered that I couldn't stay in it anymore. So I started living in my car, um, and that seemed like an upgrade. So. Uh, I had my whole life in this car, and uh, it was that season that I finally had it out with Linda that my car also got broken into uh, down at the load oh. lot. Yeah. Um, so my car got broken into, and uh, I, I remember walking, like I was walking down uh, to the parking lot and saw two guys like standing around my car, like looking into it. And I walked up to him when I was like maybe about as close as we're sitting right now. And I just looked at the guy and asked him, did you just break into my car? And he looked at me and then ran and jumped in his like oh, no little way. Chevy Cavalier and took off. It was the dude. It was the dude. It was totally the dude. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. And in that moment, I just thought, well, you know, fuck this guy. And I jumped in my car and took after him, you know, took off after him. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been back on those roads, but it gets yeah, rough. Totally. And I have no idea how he made it through those back roads in a Chevy Cavalier. Oh, man. He yeah. was a local. He it was, was a local. He knew yeah, every he local. <laughs> knew every corner. He knew, he knew all yeah. of it. And uh, so at any rate, so like obviously didn't catch the guy. Police didn't really care about it. They knew this guy was a problem. And I, you know, couldn't do anything about it. He stole like my phone, my wallet. 
Um, didn't take any of my CDs. Like went through them, but didn't take any of my CDs. <laughs> your in sync CD, yeah. of course. I don't, yeah. I don't know left what that the, says about your left about your the musical Smash taste. Mouth's greatest hit CD in the back seat of the car. Um, but so I was like living in my car, and the wind like windows were gone. Like I had no option, right? And I was just like I was just laying down in the back of my car. It was and I it was raining, and I couldn't do anything about it. And that was when I thought, like, I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. I don't know if I should do this. Any- I don't know if I should be doing this anymore. Um, but you know, like Dave said, like climbing just, just once it sets in, like you, you don't really get it out of your system. And it was like a really hard night of just thinking about, like, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And am I making the right call? But then you'd wake up in the morning. And, and you just want to go back to your And you project. just go climbing. Yeah, yeah, you've got stuff to do. You know, you've got roots to do at the cliff. So you'll figure out those broken windows later, you know. And, you, and, you, and again, you're surrounded with great people. Like Allie Rainey and Kevin Wilkinson took me in. It was awesome. Like they had a, a camper at Linda's. They let me stay with them. Uh, Kevin helped me fix the window, which was awesome. You know, so it was like I had this moment of doubt. Like, am I doing the right thing? And then the very next day, you know, your friends, you know, do everything they can to keep you on course. So it wasn't, you know, that, 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 that was, that was a rough time because I really didn't know, um, if I was making the right call, but ultimately, you know, I, I kind of, uh, I limped along for another few months before I got a call from Dave. Um, and that's when that, that, that was the moment when I thought, you know, Here's my chance. This is a, this is an opportunity, yeah. And I'm not, you know, I'm at that point. I was ready for it, you know. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you you say your friends, you know, kept you on the right path, and they were keeping you on the path that most of society is like. That's not the direction you should be going, right? You know, and I went the other direction for a long time. I I worked a nine to five job, or you know, and. <laughs> just worked my ass off my whole life and just believing that there's no way you can make a living in this climbing industry you know it's just a it's a hobby and it's a lifestyle but you still need to work this full-time job and it's only recently that I've switched over to the dark side so to speak you know and I've and I'm realizing that that's the right decision now because I'm following this passion you know that I've had for so long and you guys follow that passion a lot earlier. Um, but that's not the way everybody on the outside sees it necessarily. You know, do you, do you three feel successful? Like, do you feel like you're finding success in this climbing world? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David and I were just talking about this. I, you know, it's, it's, different for different people right like the yeah you know the definition of success is not it's not objective right like it's not totally there's, there's not one definition of success i mean i think a lot of people when they look at climbing um when it's not their when it's not their career when it's not what they do for a living um you know they look at success as like you know clipping the chains getting to the top you know and like checking the box next to the biggest number possible, right? Um, right, exactly. But for us, I feel like we're at this point where 
we've just, our success is in finding balance, right? Like we have so many other things that are going on right now and they're all great things. Um, and that's been, you know, that's, for me has been like my definition of success. It's finding a balance, you know, climbing has been a vehicle that allowed me to get here, but now that I'm here, I have, um, you know, a partner who we're getting ready to get married here in three weeks. So that's coming Shout up. Out, we're excited Bridget. about that. Yep. Um, and you know, things at the climbing gym are going well. Um, like Dave said, St. Louis is a great community. We have amazing people here. Um, having moved back to St. Louis, like I really reconnected with my family. Like, you know, there's all these things that are happening that, you know, even though they are not climbing related, like climbing made them possible to a certain degree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're, you know, I'm sure your wedding's going to be populated with lots of climbers. Yeah. I'm sure they'll be there. You know, I know you had a local climber help with your wedding invitations and mm -hmm. a climbers playing at your wedding in the band. And, you know, so that, that community's played a huge part, even in those non climbing decisions. Right. You know? I think that's huge. Success is like really hard to measure, right? For one guy, it's the fancy sports car. It's the perfect yeah. job. It's the financial like money to be free. It's the motorcycle with all the little gadgets. Beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I, I guess, so I've had to shift gears between like the climbing lifestyle and like, cool, how do you play some business? Like at least the Monopoly board moving the pieces around. How, how do you figure out this other game? Yep. Um, and it seems like if you shift the focus of success off of me, like I'm trying to be successful, I'm trying to get to this milestone, I want to, I want to, and you try to make the people around you successful, so you encourage them or you put the, um, the responsibility on them to try to improve, then that pays dividends like in gold. We've so when we first started, it was just myself and my brother, and we were struggling to like figure it all out. And slowly, the team has grown over years of like hard work and risk and loss and struggle. It's grown and grown and grown. And I've changed the focus now to asking the team, how can I make your job easier? What can I do to make you successful? And by stopping and listening and getting that feedback and then trying to like execute that by by making the team successful, it, it, it just pays off in, in dividends. It's incredible. So I think it's like, you know, culture and society wants to push you towards being successful. I mean, you see it every day. We're bombarded with images, the fancy car, the sports car, the, the, the cash in the bank, the, the you know, but I, I think it, you get where I'm going with this. Sometimes when I panic yeah, totally. and I get nervous, I just fake blacking out. <laughs> You this, are you going to pass out? Down. This might be one of those times. Black Hawk down. No, but I think the point, the, the point is, you know, another key to success is surrounding yourself with the right people. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's interesting that you, you talk so often about community, and I love that because you're an entertainer naturally. You know, it's, it's what you do. <laughs> so... And, and, I, and I get this, you know, where I'm, I like to be on a microphone, I like to be in front of people, you know, I like to be the, the center stage or whatever, but I'm not doing it for my own attention. I'm doing it to entertain other people and to help them have a good time. And I see the same thing with you. So it's interesting to hear you verbalize that, that you're trying to, you know, 
make it easier for the team and facilitate for the team and keep every you you spend so much time in here i've watched you all week entertaining your your team members you know <laughs> all the people who work here are entertained by you the minute you walk in the door right. you know and i'm sure there are moments where you're a total asshole i'm sure it happens you know we all are but <laughs> they understand that because you've you you've paid so much attention to making them happy and making their job work for them and making them feel successful cool i hope it's a snowball effect and they'll turn around and do that to, you know to the next yeah coworker member day pass user and so on yeah yeah and i think they will i really do i'm finding like uh, we've talked about this yusuf but and you've actually encouraged me to um you know success is like People see it as like, oh, it's just a straight line to success, but it is a curvy road with, and I mentioned with risk. Totally, and with strip clubs. <laughs> <laughs> potholes and, you know, it's, cha it's, it's, it's challenging. It's not as easy as, as you think, but Yusuf's really encouraged me to celebrate the small successes. Like take time to celebrate, whether it's topping out a boulder problem, there's, there's always another boulder problem. So take a minute to slow down, slow your roll, and, and just relish in the fact that you've accomplished something. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be topping out a boulder problem. If you just stick a move you haven't done or get closer to a move you haven't done, you know, right. that's a success to celebrate too. So It could be climbing, it could be work-related, it could be family-related, but just take time to pause and, and celebrate those little victories. Because it's just with the fast-paced world, it's, it's hard to take a minute for yourself. Yeah, I think so for sure. Nate, do you feel like you know, you're, you're finding your, your way in this climbing industry. Has it changed for you since you were just dirt bagging? Oh, it's changed a ton. Yeah. It's, and that's, what's funny is trying to think on this. I don't actually know how I define success right now entirely. Um, yeah. When, you know, I lived on the road, always just work shitty jobs, like, and always with the intention of, Hey, this keeps me doing what I want to do. But I definitely hit a point to where I was like, man, I, you know, I love rock climbing, but I want to do more than just work a garbage job that just keeps me climbing. Like I want to do something that kind of feels significant or at least like I want to feel like I'm giving back in a way, like contributing. Um, and yeah, it's funny. I actually stayed away. From, like the idea of coaching terrified me forever because I was always really afraid of the idea that it would make me like not like climbing. But with all my free time, all I would ever read about is things like coaching, things like training, things along those lines. Like that's all I ever, that's what I cared about more than anything, but it was just like, I kind of stayed away from it. Um, and then things just kind of lined up to where we started working together. And so now it's been a lot more of a balance trying to like figure out my own climbing and then coaching as well. Uh, and kind of a funny thing that happened the other night, uh, I competed in the SOL showdown here, which was an awesome event. Um, but man, I got stomped like absolutely. I haven't climbed inside very much, like more or less for the last year and came in and man, indoor bouldering is hard <laughs> and it's, like, it's very hard. Yeah. Like afterwards I was like pretty bummed. I knew I didn't make finals. I was just like, well, this kind of sucks. And like, I don't know, knew not to go in with like too high of expectations. It was supposed to be just a fun event, but it's like, you know, if you try hard and you fail, it's like shit sucks. But uh, then I pulled out my phone and I looked and one of the women I train just sent her entire season project. Like this was a huge thing for her. It was her biggest project and she had sent it first go that day. And immediately I would, like didn't even care about the comp. I like was so happy. Like 
to me, that was like success in that moment. I was just like, this means more than had I made it to finals. Had I absolutely crushed it, this still would have been the highlight of my day. Yeah, yeah. And I think I find that all the time. You know, I've initially when I started, you know, the change the power company into a money making business, I thought, you know, this is what's going to make me successful. The fact that I'm making money and I'm still climbing hard and it's all within the climbing industry, you know, but I discovered that hearing from my clients about their successes and hearing from this community that we've been building around, you know, this training and practice culture, um, hearing their successes has been gigantic for me, you know, and I, I think that's definitely the way that I define success now is by, you know, what, what is everyone around me learning from me? And, and then what are they passing on? You know, when I see them share something, um, either with, either we're working with coaches and they share something with one of their team kids or, or if someone shares something on Facebook or whatever it is that they've learned from us and then they can pass on, you know, that feels a lot more successful to me. And, it, I, I, you know, maybe mentorship or stewardship or something. I don't know exactly how to define it, but, but that's what, that's what I'm calling success now, you know. Do you boys feel like you've learned more from, you know, the, the pupils or the students that you've trained versus what you've given them? Like, do you feel like you've, like, it's a reciprocal relationship? That's a funny question. I, I actually do. I feel like since I've been coaching more and spending more time building this business, I've had less time to learn new things from books or podcasts or you know whatever but I get so much new I get so many new ideas and so much new inspiration from my clients and from the people that we work with and we talk to every day and at these workshops and through the podcast and you know through all these channels that we've created so I feel like I'm I'm constantly learning and I'm just giving everyone the same information I already have. You know, that's kind of how it starts to feel sometimes. So yeah, I think I, I feel like I'm coming out on the, the winning side of it, for sure. <laughs> Nate, how about you, buddy? Oh yeah, man. I think, man, especially a big thing for me is I'm so impressed by so many of the people that I train. Like, they have like real lives and real like just things that go on all the time. Like. The idea of a nine, someone working a nine to five throughout the year, no mishaps, and it's just like they go to a climbing trip and you know everything goes smooth, like that's that's crazy. Like, but so often like people are like, oh, like you know I had gotten a car accident or I had a family member die or something like that, and like but they still like they make time for things, and it's really cool to see them balance all these things out, and it's been huge for me. It's helped me a ton just to be like like put things in perspective a lot. Yeah. So, you know, I think we all feel like we've had some some version of success in this, you know, climbing world, climbing industry, climbing life, whatever it is. Um, you know, what's your what's your goal from here? Where are you taking your success from here in this same world, Dave? This is one of those blackout moments. I just, <laughs> just fake it. I, I got your back. So we, we were talking about this the other day, and I think <coughs> because I, I think just as we get older, that the answer to that question is just going to keep changing. 
Yeah, totally. I don't. I don't think for people with our personalities, we're ever going to get to a place where we feel like we've arrived. I mean, that's part of the reason why we are here right now, right? Um, but I know that we've talked about this. At some point, it'll be nice to get back to climbing. You know, I think full if time we, climbing. If we can, yeah. I think you know, we just decided, you know, instead of spending our 20s and 30s living on the road climbing, it was time to buckle down, create something that would provide some stability and financial security, and then come back to it later. Yeah, yeah and that, it's hard, right? Because you want to, once you've created something successful, you want to create another thing that's successful right. or keep growing the thing you've already created or, yeah, you know, it's just like when you have a climbing project, you get, you think, this is the end all project, you know, but you get to the top and you're like, okay, what's next? You yeah. Know, you're already I'm, thinking I'm about moving the next on to thing. something bigger. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a vicious cycle, right? Like, yeah, you create something, you put meaning into it, time, effort, energy, and you throw it out there and you just hope that people gravitate to it. Yeah. So it's just like, what's the next thing? And as you're progressing forward, you need to take time to nurture the things that you've already created to make sure systems are in place. They're up and running. Um, you're satisfying the needs of people who are partaking. So it's this constant like struggle between work and then live work balance. Like it's a, it's a never ending chase, if you will. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I think, you know, I get, I get blamed all the time by my fiance for just going too hard all the time, you know, and I, and all the time I'm like, I'll just get this one thing done and then I'll take a break. You know, and then a week later, I'm like, I never took a break. I'll take a break tomorrow. And then a week later, and I never took a break, you know, and it just seems to be how it goes. You just want to keep growing these things. I, so. I have to congratulate you, though. You have done if a fantastic job. It seems like your, your brand, your marketing, everything is just it's you are you're riding this wave. And I, I just love to see I love to see the, the scrappy startup to just I'm all in I'm throwing all my chips in, in this basket. I'm just basket. learning from you guys, man. I, I watched you guys come up. So we, that's... we, we do these uh, CEO like entrepreneurship classes where I, I don't know why they invite us out to these, but we'll show up to these high schools and the teachers will interview us and the kids will question and answer and stuff. And, uh, you know, I remember saying like, so who, who wants to be an entrepreneur and why? And the first hand that shoots up is, uh, so how, how long do I, will it take before I make a million dollars? Like that was the first question out of the 16 year old. Uh, it was just like verbal vomit on the ground. And it was like, and my comment was, is like, if that is your motivation, like you should just go work for someone else. Like yeah. if that's what you're chasing, yep. you may never get there. But if you enjoy the process and the people and creating something, then And go, if you can live in a van in Miguel's parking lot, then you don't need in. a million dollars. <laughs> I love it. Um, any of you guys have any questions you want to ask Dave or Yusuf or Nate or I? No? Okay. <laughs> are, you, are you nervous? You want you want to talk on the microphone? <laughs> so what you're asking is, you know, do we ever? <coughs> 
believe that success is going to happen one way and then we we start down that path and then we immediately flip-flop you know the next day we wake up and we're like oh god that was a huge mistake i i can comment on that for sure like you put all this time energy and effort into something like you give your entire soul to a project and it takes hours and you're up late at night you're up early in the morning to execute this thing and you put it out there and the first comment on social media is like oh the font was just horrible on the poster you put out yeah yeah it's like it's such a brutal world like it is I've really learned to just put my head down and work as hard as I can towards a goal and just ignore the comments. Like you just do the best you can. And I, you know, if, if you're listening out there, I would just encourage you to think through even the little comments and really just provide in a sort of environment of encouragement versus just this brutal beat you up over nothing, you know? I don't know. So yes, <laughs> it goes both ways. Yeah, and I think as I've gotten older, I've learned how to pivot better. So, you know, the thing about any kind of success, whether that's like finishing a project or starting a business or, you know, you know anything, um, when you have when you have a few things in play, I think it's it makes it a little easier to fail. Like if you're going to succeed at anything, you have to be open to failure and you have to deal with failure in a positive way and if you kind of keep a couple plates spinning you know when one of those falls you can move on and keep the other spinning and come back to that other one so you know that's something that I learned you know when climbing was my only thing when it wasn't going right you know it was devastating you know because you're living out of your car racking up credit card debt just to get to the top of this route and if it doesn't happen, it feels awful. Um, but now being a little older and having a few more things going on, even if I'm suffering on my project, I can pivot and I can, you know, uh, at a certain point I was working on the guidebook or I can pivot and switch gears and start working on like the next big event at the climbing gym or um, I can pivot again and, you know, spend time with my family, you know. so. You might not always be successful in every area of your life, but it's likely that maybe you're 75% of the way there, right? How much at any given you, how, point in time. How much have you learned from just failing? Like, you're just... All like, the things. All yeah, the things. You learn so much about yourself. Like, how you fail is a, is a really strong way to define yourself. Because if, if, if you walk away from things at the first sign of failure... Um, you're not going to make it. You're not going to get very far. Yeah, and I think it's just as important, far. you know, as failure to put yourself out there, you know, for, for me. And I know, you know, I can speak for Nate on this because Nate, you know, will show me a blog post that he's written and I'm like, oh yeah, it's perfect. Post it. And two weeks later, he's still working on it. You know, because it's so scary to put something that you've built out there into the world for criticism, you know, and I've gotten good at it over years of music and art and all these other completely subjective things that I put out into the world. And I'm just like, go for it, criticize it, you know, do whatever you want with it. But this is what I believe and this is what I'm putting out there. 
And, you know, I saw you guys with So Ill early on doing the same thing, you know, bucking the trend and not following the same path that everyone else had taken and, you know, advertising the way you wanted to advertise and, you know, selling your products the way you wanted to sell them and making products that were different from everyone else. And it takes, you know, balls to put that put that stuff out there into the world and I think that's just as important as failure is challenging yourself uh, to put those things out there and you're always going to be scared that you just did the wrong thing you know right. it's always going to be like that you just have to trust your trust your gut right lead with your heart like be disruptive yeah totally yeah yeah and if you want it bad enough you yeah. know if you want something bad enough you just have to take it exactly you know? Exactly. You know, you can't just sit around and expect it to happen. Yep. Uh, any, anybody any else other, have yeah. any other questions? They might let us off the hook. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're asking as a fellow Southern, did you say Illinoisian? Is that really how you say it? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm just curious. But they, so, I mean, they were both which train is better, wrecks. JB's or like, the gallery? We're out in the country in the sticks. Like they're both train wrecks. It's not like a big city life. Uh, the poor girls are just probably trying to pay for the college tuition. <laughs> no, no problem. So what Dave but, is saying is, don't go to JB's or the gallery. Go neither, unless it's, unless it's, you have to. It's horrible for your soul. Like it's not a place you want to spend time at. It's a downward trajectory. You know, the the young the young man thinks that this is uh, you know maybe a fruitful ending, but the older you get, it's it's not worth the time. But I have to say, Illinois is one of the best kept secrets of any climbing areas I've ever been to. I cool. I traveled for a couple years and then had the opportunity to literally move anywhere I wanted and move to Southern Illinois. The sandstone down there is is crazy. The Shawnee National Forest occupies basically the bottom third of Illinois. And that place literally changed my life. I, I remember the day I left Illinois to pack, I packed up my entire house, sold all the uh, possessions we could and we moved to St. Louis. And I remember looking in my rear view mirror thinking, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, and I try to I try to tell people that too, and they just don't believe you. You know, they right. think you're crazy. They think you know how could there be good climbing in Southern Illinois? Right. I've I even love it sent, down there. I've even sent like really close friends of mine copies of the guidebook yeah. to convince them that it's we've got a good thing here. Yeah. How'd that go? The herds are no there, answer. man. Radio <laughs> silence. They went to Spain instead. You, you, know? should, you should follow up with an invoice. If they ever replied, <laughs> send them an invoice. Good idea. <laughs> That's a great idea. Well, man, I appreciate you guys. Hold on, hold on. Any more All questions? Right. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we got another one. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. How do we, you know, start these businesses from the ground up? Do we approach venture capitalists or how do we fund them? That's I, a good question. We uh, so we were young. We did all these little entrepreneur um, contests. Um, so we, 
I remember uh, there, was, there was one uh, that really stood out in my mind and uh, we presented a big slideshow and presentation and we showed all of our product and two things came from that. One, uh, as soon as we were done with a 30 minute presentation, the gentleman looked at the climbing hold and said, so what is this? <laughs> And I felt like we had disconnected our message to our audience. Um, the second thing was uh, everyone was dressed in suits, but there was one gentleman who was in literally flip-flops and shorts, and I guess he was the big IT guy and sold his concept to Microsoft. And he said, if I give you $100,000 right now, what would you do with it? And my smart Alec remark was, I'd buy a $100,000 car. <laughs> but I think after we left that meeting, we had a lot of discussions between my brother and myself. And the biggest thing I can say is be thrifty and be nimble. Like, I, if he would have given me a $100,000 loan, like, I would have just trashed that. I mean, as fast as I could on just nonsense. So I think we started really small grassroots and we slow, gr slow growth, not taking on too big of a financial burden um, and really pacing yourself. Put in as much sweat equity as you can. Uh, instead of, you know, hiring out, maybe try to cultivate the correct team, bring them in so you've got, you know, people who maybe play to your uh, your weaknesses. Um, Yusuf is a great example. He's a wordsmith. I can't I can't type a complete sentence, but this guy can can cultivate a message that. Um, so I, that would be my my encouragement would be to start small, be humble, grow slow, and and build the right team around the product. And uh, and most of the time that yields to success. Yeah, and I agree with everything Dave said. And I'll also add that. I think you really have to try and build a culture around whatever it is that you're building and trying to sell. You know, I think it's really important to get people involved in wanting whatever it is you have. You know, if, if you really believe in it and you have enough belief in it that you're going to reach out to venture capitalists or whatever, then then sell that to people as well, you know, and those people, when they follow along and they'll demand it so that they're, you know, it can't be denied at that point, you know, when the people want it, I think that's when it's going to happen, you know, and I saw that happen with So Ill and that's, you know, sort of what I modeled my brand after was, you know, they, they built this brand that got a cult following and that, you know, everyone who was a so ill fan or a so ill follower or you know whatever you call them they they loved it and they you know they bled for so ill so i really tried to follow that same sort of model and really connect with the people who are going to be using my product and you know being involved in my brand and i think it's easy to forget about the the people that you're selling to and making sure that they're taken care of i just want to encourage you to to just go for it like go all totally, in it's totally. uh, eat sleep like throw all the chips in in the basket if if that's the direction you want to head yeah, yeah and and I, one I, thing that i i learned from dave that i think is really important when you interact with people treat everybody with respect give everybody absolutely time in a conversation because you, you never know who you're talking to at any given moment. You know, it could be someone just in the same position you're in, but it could also be that business developer who's looking for the next big thing, or it could be an angel investor who's figuring out where he or she wants to put their funds. So, um, you know, make sure that 
you know, it, it, that might sound like it's a lot of pressure that every conversation needs to be perfect. It doesn't need to be perfect. You just have to make sure that, you know, you treat everyone with respect because they might come back to you. I, I've got this audio in my head that says, just shut up and listen. Like, you can learn yeah, totally. so much totally. from people. The, the, you know, the young kid that's just coming out of college helps you connect with that younger demographic. And the old CEO that's been at it 50 years, like, just be still and listen. <laughs> totally. Yep. And Let's talk more after this. I'm now you've got my attention. I'm curious. Yeah, totally curious <laughs> yeah. now. And one, one last thing I'll say, you know, that Dave mentioned earlier, you know, Dave mentioned that he would be up early in the morning and he'd be up until late at night and working constantly and you know <laughs> late at night was at the strip club normally but you gotta but, take breaks you know, the importance of that is that you know you hear guys like you know if you look at tim ferris you know in his podcast and he wants to push this four-hour work week and whatever that's that's something that happens way down the road you know but we we see that example and we think that's what i want right now you know, but he got there because he spends so many hours working on his brand and working on what it is that he's selling to everyone else and that he's good at, you know, so you have to put in the hours, you have to put in the work, you know, it's, it's too big of just a chance. And, and if you build okay. the, oh, I was going to say, and if you build the right team, like Dave was saying, right. you can spread out the workload because yeah, you're totally. not, if you're the only one going at it. Yep burnout happens real fast and if the project's important to you and you don't want to leave it <laughs> wrecked you need to spread it out you need to trust that other people are going to help you you need to be willing to like give some of it up yep yep absolutely uh anybody else have any questions yep eh. what's next for so ill uh big picture stuff um it's been it's been challenging lately to figure out uh, to keep the systems in place to free us up to be able to work on bigger picture stuff. Um, I feel like the climbing community in St. Louis is growing. Uh, I feel like the industry is growing too. Uh, we just got back from uh, Tokyo. My wife and I got to go over there. Uh, my brother had a trip booked um, for So Ill to, uh, to hang out with our distributor and participate in a trade show. And uh, he got sick. So on a, about an eight hour notice, I got the call that I, I was headed there, packed my bags and off we went. But it's been cool to see um, outside perspective like traveling really puts things in uh, a sort of different light if you will um, so it's been it, it's it's cool to see this industry start um, I mean what felt like just a disorganized sort of uh, climbers on the road to these um, sort of uh, gym epicenters that are really um, introducing people to the sport so I feel like uh, headed towards the directory of introducing more people to rock climbing more products more things that that people will like and absorb um, and maybe a little vacation time. I'm all for you taking that vacation time. All right. Um, any other questions? Anybody? <laughs> okay. Well, first off, I appreciate you guys sitting down, you know, and talking to me and chatting with us. Um, I think it's great. You know, we, 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 we need to hear your stories. You know, you guys are the you're leading the charge but you're doing it from the background so it's it's cool to hear the stories and um you know thanks to four hands for the beer for sure you always have to thank the beer people and all of you people on facebook who are watching thank you guys for tuning in we'll do this again sometime down the road 
Um, you can all find us at powercompanyclimbing.com, at climbsoill.com, correct? Yep. And is it soill.com for the... Soillholds.com. Soillholds.com. You can find them there. Um, and definitely check out their products. They they push the boundaries for sure. And, and I love the way they do it. So... Check those guys out, and you can find us on the social medias. You can find us on the Instagrams. You can find us on the Facebooks. You cannot, however, find us on the Twitter because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. I got to pee. This And for you guys that are still here, we've got shirts set up over here. We've got stickers. We're going to be hanging out for a little while. We've got more beer, so please hang out. Chat with us if you want to. Um, I could chat all night, so please hang out.